0: Welcome to the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. My name is Mike, and I'm here with my son, Joseph.
1: Together, we are learning sports one game at a time.
0: Welcome to the show. We want to start off by thanking Fred Bowen of The Washington Post and Sue O'Connell of NBCLX in Boston for all the great feedback and coverage of our family podcast.
1: We had a great time speaking with you both. It was an honor. Thank you.
0: Scouting reports are the backbone to building a strong college and professional sports team. Who should a team recruit? Who should they draft? One of our family's favorite players has been described the following ways. Limited upside. A frail frame.
1: lacks lateral quickness, out of control at times.
0: Not a true point guard. Average athleticism. Average wingspan. Relies too heavily
1: on outside shooting.
0: Projects as a backup or fringe starter. Not a great finisher around the basket. Lacks explosiveness. Needs considerable improvement as a ball handler and decision-maker to make it in the league.
1: With the seventh pick in the 2009 NBA Draft, the Golden State Warriors select Stephen Curry from Davidson College.
0: Today on the Sliders and Curveballs podcast, we're excited to be joined by Marcus Thompson II. Marcus is a lead columnist at The Athletic. He's covered the Golden State Warriors over a decade and has been a leading voice for nearly 20 years in the Bay Area sports scene. Join us in welcoming author of the best-selling biography, Golden, The Miraculous Rise of Steph Curry.
1: Plus, it's Fan Appreciation Day on the, on, on the podcast. Four pitches to question winners to be announced. Join us. Hi, Marcus. Ready for some fun? I am. My guy Stephen Curry entered the league six foot three and only 185 pounds. He's won three NBA championships, three MVPs, and has three and has the three point record over three thousand and counting. How did a small guy accomplish this?
2: He did it, believe this or not, by mastering his father's craft. Uh, He's a shooter in the legacy of his dad, who was a shooter, and he's essentially negated the height disadvantage he has by shooting from far and taking advantage of the three-point shot. So he has become the greatest shooter of all time, and that singular skill, because he's so great at it, has opened up all kind of other elements of his game simply by following the footsteps of his dad. How great is that?
0: That's incredible. Uh, I I want Joseph to make his own way in life. So don't follow in my footsteps, Joe, (laughs) but that was a great decision by Steph. He eclipsed Ray Allen. We're big UConn fans. So we know how wonderful a shooter he is. And it's just a fantastic uh, uh, story. Very few players in sports, Marcus, revolutionize their game. What impact in your eyes has Stephen Curry made on the game of basketball?
2: I mean, the obvious answer is that he's made the three-point shot uh, preeminent. He has made it so everyone uh, either wants to figure out how to stop him from shooting threes or they want to be able to shoot threes to match him. And because of that, we've seen an entire league make this shift. Uh, The three-point shot is as prevalent as it's ever been. More players on the court can shoot threes than ever before. And also, players who are really good on the perimeter, at defending the perimeter, uh, have become incredibly valuable. Uh, we've seen th- this, th- this old-school, kind of traditional concept of a center uh, change because people like Steph take advantage of big, slow guys. So now you're seeing centers who are more agile, who can shoot from deep. Uh, we've seen small players kind of uh be revolutionized. And there was a time where if you just didn't have any height, you didn't have a chance. There were some exceptions to the rule, but they were definite exceptions. Now, uh it doesn't matter so much how small you are, but but it matters the skill you bring and whether you can offset that size. So the impact Steph has had has been tremendous because it impacts every position. You have to you have to be able to do some things to play center whether score in the post to kind of punish the smaller players or be able to play out on the perimeter. And also he impacts the wings because those are the type of players who can be athletic enough to keep up with players like Steph, but also tall enough and long enough to to defend the shot. So those guys are at a premium. And obviously he's impacted it for small players across the across the globe. Really now, everyone feels like they have a chance to play because if you can shoot you can be on the court and that's a direct reflection of how Steph impacted the game
0: yeah that's fantastic thank you so much here's another one from Joseph
1: can you tell our listeners how long it took you to research and write Golden and describe how the chapters of the book are laid out
2: So I began researching for Golden before I knew I was researching for Golden. (laughs) It wasn't initially to write a book, uh, but uh, I met Stefan for the first time in uh, 2009 when he was drafted. And at the time, the Warriors weren't good at all. So (laughs) there were two reporters in there and I was one of them. And we got to spend a lot of time uh, just kind of building that relationship. So I ended up learning a lot about Steph and a lot about who he is, what makes him tick, how he got to where he is and, you know, the hurdles he needed to overcome, et cetera. So by the time, you know, I was approached to write the book, I had seven years of knowledge, seven years of a relationship built up. So. I did most of the work without even really knowing I was doing the work. So when it came time to write the book, I I, de- I definitely needed to do research, but I knew where to go to get it because I had already kind of done that pre-research. Uh, and when I constructed the book, I broke it into 10 chapters. Uh, I began with um, the baby-faced assassin and how he got the name and the the mindset that's behind Steph. Everybody thinks he's so nice and and. He is a really he's like really nice guy, really humble, but he is an assassin when he's on the court. And then I went to Game Changer, and that's uh, explaining how he used a three point shot to change basketball and to forge his way into the game in a unique way. Um, uh, you know, uh, and and that that chapter was about the Warriors too, and how their style of play centered on Stephen Curry really revolutionized basketball and to kind of alter the landscape and how people thought about the game uh chapter three Wardale the second this is the steph curry the man the person uh definitely wanted to dig into who he is behind the scenes uh chapter number four was steph with uh the three on the e just talking about the three-point shot it's history and his his role in its expansion uh, Chapter number five is Curry Appeal. It's about how popular he became, just how big he was and how famous he gotten really fast. And chapter number six, you can't talk about Steph without talking about Klay Thompson. So it's about the Splash Brothers and about how they became the best shooting backcourt in the league. Chapter number seven uh, talked about the injury struggles he had. Steph Curry, people didn't think he would make it because he had so many ankle injuries. So that was a major hurdle he had to overcome. Uh, chapter number eight, we talked about the what I called Curry hate or the the people who didn't like him for whatever reasons and why that was so. Uh, chapter number nine was about his unique version of athleticism and how he, while people think he's just this little guy who can shoot, he really is kind of a, a freak of an athlete. And then chapter number 10 about how his whole life he's been an underdog. And that's his makeup. That's that's what made him. So even though his dad's from the NBA and he grew up uh, uh, well off, he still has an underdog mentality that's created the Steph Curry that we know.
0: That's awesome. I can't wait to dig into the book. And now you mentioned his dad, Del Curry, who had a long NBA career. Um, How did his family shape the player that we see today?
2: Marcus, can you want me to repeat
0: that?
2: Oh, I think I lost you. Oh, Can you uh, hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. I, I was going to say, how did uh, Del Curry shape the player that we see today?
2: Well, Dell was the one who, when Steph was, I think, in the eighth grade, summer of eighth grade, and he he, he gave him a challenge. He said, hey, are, do you want to take basketball seriously? Do you want to play is basketball it is that the one you want cuz Steph played a lot of sports he played baseball he played volleyball like his mom like he he was a he was a multi-sport athlete but he fell in love with basketball so his father decided to see if if he wanted to commit to basketball and once Steph said yes he changed his shot cuz like most little guys Steph was shooting from his hip he didn't have the power base to shoot the ball from far so he had developed this habit of shooting with this kind of slingshot from his hip. So his father worked with him to develop a more refined shot, and it turned out to be a very efficient shot. He can get it off quickly, and he can do it off the dribble. So by helping his son refine his shot and become more uh, uh, you know, uh, efficient with how he got it off, he ended up creating uh, a unique shot. Somebody who can do it off the dribble, who can get off really fast. Because even though he's six foot three, Dell is only an inch shorter, maybe six four, six five. He just knew his son would have a harder time getting the shot off, so he he helped him create a shot that he can get off in a blink and from anywhere on the court and in just about any situation.
0: That's awesome. Well, when you first saw him when he first came into the league, and you were one of those those two reporters, Marcus. What was your initial impression? Did you think, could you ever have imagined that he would be the MVP of the league?
2: Oh, yeah. I predicted it right off the bat. As soon as I saw him the first time. No, I didn't. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. (laughs) You know, um, I had seen him in college because the Warriors general manager at the time was a guy named Larry Riley. And he was completely sold on Stephen Curry. He was, he kept telling me, "You gotta see this guy, at Davidson. You gotta see this guy, at Davidson. He's he might be the best player in the country." And I just, I just didn't believe it. It's Davidson, right? <laughs> and then you see Steph. You like this guy's not gonna dominate the league. Look at him. He's like six foot two, one hundred and twenty five pounds, soaking wet. Uh, but when he got to the league what was what was really apparent was he was incredibly skilled. He could pass the ball. He could shoot the ball. He could dribble the ball. And I just know that if you can do those three things, you're going to be really good in the NBA. The question was, could he handle the physicality? Because he was a really small guy. He was really slight. Uh, but by the end of his freshman, I mean, not freshman, his rookie year, He was so good that you, I figured he would be an all-star. Like, this guy has all-star ability because he was just unstoppable even though he was so small. So you'd figure at some point he would get some weight on him, get some muscles. He's going to be really good. I never saw two-time MVP. I never thought he would be one of the the 10, 15 greatest players of all time, and I I didn't think he would be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. I just thought he would be an all-star. And he would be a really good player in the league. And he kind of he exceeded even that because even that at the time was a wild prediction. Like some people thought he should be a six man at the time.
0: That's just an incredible uh, it's really just an incredible story on on work ethic and how hard um, he you know devotes himself to his craft. Go ahead, Joseph.
1: Would you take us inside some of Steph's workouts and routines?
2: I can tell you this, like I have no chance of doing any of them, Uh, especially since he started working with this guy named Brandon Payne. Uh, He's the owner of a company called Accelerate Basketball. And when when Steph was recovering from multiple ankle issues and ankle surgery, one of the answers was to get the other parts of his body uh, super strong. Right. Uh, Part of the issue was the stuff around his ankle could, could help better him. So Brandon Payne is kind of like a mad scientist in that type of stuff, getting you to like practice how you move and strengthen certain parts of your body to kind of take the pressure off of the area. That's a problem. And then through that process, you can start seeing how incredible of an athlete Curry is because he's really strong pound for pound. And he's got a lot of like agility. So he's throwing he's throwing tennis balls at the wall catching him while he's dribbling, they do sensory things where like lights are flashing and he's got to hit the light while he's dribbling and the the whole process is designed to overload his mind and to overload his senses so the things that he do in the middle of a game aren't affected by all of this other stuff. Uh so if he can do it if he can dribble well and and shoot well while all this stuff is happening If they can train him to keep the same muscle memory, to keep the same form, even though all this stuff is happening, then in the game, he's got a better chance. So they would run him. One of of the drills, one of the craziest drills was this drill called quarters. And he would have to run down court, uh, make some shots, come back down, make some more shots from all these spots on the court, come back down. And then there's a guy waiting to be physical with him and he couldn't miss at all. So he had to run up and back and down, and if you miss, he's got to start over, so we're talking like four four or five shots each time all all off full sprint while he's running, and then at the end, he's got to do it with a with a defender who's being physical with him and it's really kind of insane, but because he's so competitive and so driven, he doesn't stop until he conquers the drill so he he does a lot of stuff like that, and the whole point is to make the game easier so he can shoot, pass and think quickly despite all of the of the duress of an NBA game.
0: Are you able to attend a lot of practices?
2: Uh no, we we get um we we get to see like after practice is over. Uh they don't let us in for the str- strategic part, so you don't get to see scrimmages. What we do get to see is individual work. So after practice Curry is one of the people who has his own kind of private session. So those are mostly just shooting drills. Uh they're just um him working on various shots from different spots of the court. It's it's fascinating too because if you think he's efficient shooting in the game, you should see him in practice. Like <laughs> with no defender and no pressure, he's even more insane. He he'll make 70 in a row like it's nothing. Uh, so we get to see a lot of that. A lot of his Personal private sessions or the video sessions that uh that Accelerate Basketball will put out.
0: Wow, that's 7-0, seven not seven in a row. Now, Joe, I just took oh, Joseph yeah. to an arcade seven is this weekend. Nothing. <laughs> Joe, you remember when you were at the arcade, you had the um, you were doing the blinking lights game. Do you think you could have dribbled the basketball while you were doing the lights? Yes. <laughs> All right, he's ready to take of course Steph on one on one. That's
2: right. <laughs> of course you can, Joe. Let me
0: ask you this. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Marcus. Covering Golden State for 10 years, you must um, it must have given you some incredible memories. Can you take us uh courtside with you for a few of your favorite Steph Curry memories in games?
2: Oh wow. There are, <laughs> there are so many of them. Uh um I can do it. Let me do a quick... Cr- Chronologically, chronologically, uh, there was a game in, I think it was in Portland, the end of his rookie year, where I think he had like a, he had a triple double with 30 points and it was insane. It was, you know, we had thought he was good. And then there was a, there was another player who was kind of the favorite for rookie of the year, a guy named Tyreek Evans. But Steph was playing so great at the end of the year. We were like, okay, he might be rookie of the year. And he ended up getting a triple double in the last game i think it was like 40 points or something it was just insane that's the part where i was like okay this dude is he is that guy like he is he is incredible i was convinced it was the last game of the season i was like okay next year he's gonna be the franchise uh so that was one of them the other one was game four in 2013 uh in oracle and he scored 20 points in a quarter and he was just He was so on fire. It was the first time he shot the ball and didn't look at the basket. He was in front of the Denver bench. He shot it and while the ball was in the air, he turned his back to the ball and turned towards the Denver bench and stared at them when the when the shot went in. And I had never seen that before. We were just like, Are you kidding me? (laughs) Like it was insane. And he hit one three in transition. He's like they're chasing him, and it's like all these defenders trying to take the ball from him and he just pulls up for three and hits it, and you literally couldn't hear yourself. And the arena hadn't been that loud since, we believe, in 2007. It was loud. it was crazy, and that's where you knew something really special was happening. Uh, the other one, the one, another one I'll never forget, was Portland, 2016. He got hurt in the previous series in Houston, and he didn't play. Uh, he came back in game four of that series and he came off the bench, but Sean Livingston, who started in his place, got ejected. So Steph ended up having to play most of the second half. So he blew through the minutes limit they had set up for him. And he was like 0 for 10 or 1 for 10 from three. He couldn't make a shot. He was rusty. He was cold. And then he just caught fire and just started torching Portland. And it was it was just it was wild. It was just insane. He scored he scored a playoff record 17 points in overtime to give the Warriors to win. And I remember being on the court and I'm and I asked him I'm like, yo, like, can you believe you just did that? And he's like, no, no, not really. This is unbelievable. Like, after the game, he was he was kind of in the zone so he didn't really it was like he it was an out of body experience he just couldn't believe it was happening but he was it was it was amazing to watch it felt like watching jordan that's how i felt watching jordan as a kid uh those moments man you just don't you just don't forget the the other one was a bit more uh was a was also a clay moment it was game 6 when clay goes off in oklahoma city and he hits 11 threes uh even though Clay had this incredible game, he just kept them in the game, and they were on the brink of elimination. They were down three two, and they needed this game to force a game seven. And Steph closed the game. He hit a couple threes after he had been struggling, and hit the, and hit the like the one that's to end it to seal it. And it was just like wow, somebody needed to finish this game, and Clay had got him to that point, and Steph finished it. And that's where you're like, okay. This guy is on another level. I could do that for an hour just because it's so many of them. But those are the ones like you tell your grandkids.
0: Well, we're so glad you're sharing them with us. Joseph's over here flexing when you were uh, talking about him catching fire and torching, uh, torturing, torturing that team. Uh, it's, it's so neat to see a guy in the zone. It's like he could throw a watermelon through the eye of a needle
2: right like it's you know if if you've ever shot a basketball before like you can imagine what that feels like to shoot it knowing it's going in <laughs> most of us shoot and just hope right we just kind of pray like we're just as curious as you know anybody else watching but he when he's in that mode where he shoots it and he knows it's going in it's just it's it's mind-boggling because we've all shot a ball before and we kind of know that it's kind of hard. So for him to treat it as if it's inevitable is one of the great flexes in sports history.
0: Yeah, it's it's a thrill to see. It's it's almost like playing golf. You say I know how hard that is to do that on a course, just ripping divots and then you see these guys do it within inches of exactly where they want to hit it and to see a guy just, you know, we all do it in our driveway and this guy's just throwing flames out
2: there he's better shooting basketballs into the rim with defense in front of him than i am shooting socks into the hamper <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't i don't shoot that well i could ball up paper and the trash will be right there and i still don't shoot it as well as steph
0: all right joseph go ahead speaking
2: of socks
1: blow our socks off with one fact most people don't know about Stephen Curry.
2: Oh, man, that's tough. What is it people don't know about Steph? Hmm. Uh, He's a, you know what? I don't even know if this is true anymore, but he used to be addicted to Sour Patch Kids. (laughs) Steph eats a lot of candy, which is, to me, mind-blowing because he's like the best conditioned athlete on the court. (laughs) So it's like, yo, you would expect he only drinks like kale juice, right? And like eats only healthy stuff because he's so like fit. But, yeah, he eats a lot of candy. I don't know if that's mind-blowing.
0: Joseph, do you want to tell Marcus what your favorite candy is and one that I would prefer that your dentist does not listen to this episode?
1: Sour Patch Kids.
2: Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, they, he loves the
0: taste of the sweet and the sour. I'm so, the sour.
2: yeah. St- Steph is so – he was such a fan of Sour Patch Kids. He designed a pair of his shoes after Sour Patch Kids. He had a cabinet that just had Sour Patch Kids in it, so yeah, he's, <laughs> okay. he was an addict. I wonder if that's still true. I need to ask him about that.
0: Ask him about it. Tell him Tell him you have a, a nine-year-old that uh, that wants to know, and hopefully he'll listen to the podcast. Um, the Golden State Warriors, they've obviously battled a lot of injuries over the years. They've had superstar uh, Kevin Durant, who you've also written a book about, um, and he's come and gone. Um What's what's the future hold for Golden State, and and how will fans best remember the past?
2: Oh, I th- I definitely think they'll win another championship at some point. I don't know if it's this year, but Steph is so good, Clay is so good, Draymond is so good, you know, and even Andre Iguodala is still really good. It's just a matter of getting the right pieces around them and catching the right kind of momentum and, and wave. But they definitely. I think they'll win another championship over these next maybe 4 years, 3 or 4 years because they're just they're just that good. I also think um once they do that it will really like be that kind of stamp on the dynasty they had because even now in the modern era where people like to question everything, you know, there's still some questions about, you know, whether it was right for Kevin Durant to do that or whether it was fair. And, you know, Steph only won because he had Kevin Durant, et cetera, et cetera. So I think if one more championship will kinda end all of that and like really solidify I mean, he doesn't even really need it, but in the in the public discourse, it will solidify how great they are. So I I do think they're they're a really good franchise in a really good place as long as they've got Steph playing at a high level. (laughs) That's, it's, it's tough to get better than that. So now it's just about the pieces around them. Jordan Poole looks like a superstar in the making. I think Jonathan Kaminga is going to be really good. Uh, they still are really high on James Wiseman. So if they're right, they've got some nice pieces around the, the champion OGs. So I think they'll be, they'll be a really competitive contender for the next three or four years. And I, and I could see them getting another championship.
0: That's exciting to hear. Yeah, a lot of people, even here on the West Coast, around the water cooler, if you will, they wonder why uh, you know, Kevin Durant went there to begin with because they already had won a title. And then then they question why did he leave? Because they could have been maybe even stronger with him staying.
2: I know, right? Which one is it, huh? <laughs> you know, he i can't I know. I do think <laughs> that I think that was a uh an example of how these NBA players are just as human as we all are. They make, they make decisions based on life experience and what they want out of life. Uh, and to me that while we look at it as just sports to them, it's their life. So uh, I understand why Kevin Durant moved. I understand why he wanted a new challenge. Like it, ma- it makes a lot of sense to me, but I know Kevin Durant. So I have that kind of context, but by the same token, I, I do think the reason he came and, you know, the reason even like LeBron is saying he want to play with Steph is because one of the underrated parts about Stephen Curry is like how much people like to play with him and how much people want to play for him. Because the way he plays basketball, it's very communal. Uh, it's very uh, inclusive, even though he's like this incredible shooter and he can go score 30 40 points and sometimes he gets hot and he goes crazy and the whole offense is kind of catered around him because of who he is and how he operates it it invites people and you know when you start talking about the great players in nba history uh and one of the things like we loved about magic johnson is how much he made other players better lebron james made other players better uh i i, I do think history will show that Steph was one of those guys. So as much as we get enamored with the shooting and the scoring and the ball handling and and the accolades and the winning, like we're going to have to rem- add to his legacy that he made people better so much so that people were clamoring to play for him. People want to play with Steph Curry. And that's that's not nothing. Now, that's a pretty unique element for a star as big as him. So to me, Kevin Durant wanting to come play for the Warriors, somebody that great, was a sign of, of Steph's leadership style and the kind of superstar he is. And then you add Andre Iguodala to the mix, right? And you add some of these players who are coming to get, you know, a championship and you know, he just he's just the guy who makes people want to come play for the Warriors and that's a, that's a credit to his legacy.
0: I agree he's very special and he definitely has sparked the imagination of an entire generation. Joseph the first NBA game that he wanted to see was to see Stephen Curry when he came up to uh to Boston. Now he was hurt that game a few years ago, but we watched him. He came to the East Coast and did warm ups, starting at the um right in front of the hoop, and then working his way back almost all the way to half court. And it was uh, very exciting to see just in the warm ups. Here's a final question from Joseph. Here,
1: what advice would you give me to break Stephen's three point record?
2: Uh, you should figure out if your father is a really good shooter t- to find out if you have the dna first that's number one so can your father shoot
0: eh, he could use some work
2: nobody beats <laughs> okay. me
0: on the driveway joe sure. <laughs> i'm undefeated marcus on the driveway the kids come the dads come it could be around the world it could we could play pig nobody takes me on my driveway
1: that's well, I, think he's I will tell you that all three of us and
2: i I will tell you what Steph would say you absolutely have to put in the work you gotta you gotta you you've gotta grind you gotta take a million shots you have to work on your game it's not um you don't just walk to the three-point line and start shooting first you you understand the craft of shooting uh how to shoot master your shot so it's the same shot every time maybe you need to be closer to do that right but and, and eventually you you step out but steph is a great shooter because he is a scientist when it comes to shooting he can he is a master of his shooting form he can tell you to the finite detail what's wrong with his shot and what's not working and that's a product of somebody who takes the craft incredibly serious. So that's what I would say. You got to you gotta care about the craft enough to put untold amounts of hours into it and study it and love it and invest in it. And then maybe, maybe, maybe you will beat your father in the driveway.
0: I love it. I love it. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask a final question on my end, Marcus. And we thank you so much for spending the time with us. Um, who's on your short list to make it to the NBA finals this year from the East and Western conference?
2: Like one team or two teams? Well, I would say
0: uh, if you want to pick a finals matchup here on the sliders and Curveballs podcast, go for it. But you know, three or four teams that you think are capable of winning it all this year.
2: So in the West, I think the three teams that are actually capable are Phoenix, Memphis, and Golden State. I still think Phoenix is the best team in the West. Uh, they're they're just complete and they are a machine and they've been there before and they're hungry because they lost last year in the finals, so they're kind of like perfectly constructed. But Memphis is a different animal. They're so young and athletic and they've got so many guys. And John ja Morant is just a special player. But also the Warriors have four guys who've won championships before, and I don't think anybody wants to deal with Steph in the playoffs. So depending on matchups and health, I think that's how that could shake out. But uh, I do like Phoenix as just the best team in the West. 62, 63 wins says something. In the East, it's so tough. I, I'm a I'm going to go with Milwaukee just because experience matters and Giannis is a different kind of player. Like you know, he's going to show up. He's shown it now. And Drew Holiday—they just play defense. They—they—they're clutch. They've won a title, so they—you know—they won't be rattled in the moment. I do like Milwaukee. Obviously, Brooklyn is just just incredibly put—you know—incredible potential uh, to score. They put so much pressure on you because they're just so hard to guard. And you know, even though you know. People are down on Philly. I do feel like if they catch a nice run and things break right, Philly could win it. I was a big Iverson fan, Joe, so I I still have a little special place in my heart for Philly. I would like to see Philly get a championship, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I do think if things break right, Philly could get in there. But to me, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Phoenix-Milwaukee in a repeat. Uh, and, and a rematch of the finals, but something about Brooklyn says they'll be there. And here's what would be great if I if I have my choice, it would be Warriors Nets in the finals. That's if I have my choice. That would be great. Would not that be great theater?
0: That would be great theater. You get to see KD versus old team. You've written books about both. Um, hey, that would that would be fantastic and great for Marcus, right? <laughs>
2: absolutely now you get it
0: (laughs) (laughs) i love it well thank you so much for spending time with us we really appreciate it um we can't wait to dive into the book and um we'll be rooting for golden state and um uh, i hope that they make more memories for you to be able to enjoy to tell your grandkids one day
2: thank you so much for having me i appreciate it and joe thanks for carrying your dad on his podcast we know who the star is joe
0: thank you (laughs) All right, Marcus, thanks so much. We'll catch up with you another time. See you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. It's our favorite time of year. March Madness, the NBA playoffs, and opening day for baseball.
1: I just want to say, Dad, I'm sorry. You're the best
0: shooter in the world. And still, champion of the world, Mike, the Spike. Well, you know what? I do crush your friends, so I was oh. rolling. I was rolling my eyes when you said that to Marcus.
1: Okay, fair point.
0: Okay,
1: let's celebrate spring together and our love for card collecting. Shout out to Tops, um, Game Within the Game, and the Connecticut Rip Club. And. My friends Jack Carter, Bennett, Owen, Callen, Andrew, and Josh, also, thanks to Sebastian Montano for giving me a lot of hockey cards.
0: Well, let's give away four cards for fan appreciation in our mailbag. Pitch us a question
1: First winner, which baseball card from before you were born do you want do you wish you had? Submitted by Jimmy Kaufman. Well, I'd say I wanted the Ken Griffey. I want the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card PSA ten.
0: Oh, so you want a PSA ten Griffey Jr. and I'm gonna go with rookie. Will, rookie. Yeah. I'm gonna go with Willie Mays rookie card. Although I would love a Honus Wagner. Willie Mays is probably my favorite player. Um, I love the podcast that we did about his life. Uh, called Legend. Go back in our library and check it out but I would love some of his earlier cards. So congratulations, Jimmy. You're our first winner. Choice of whatever cards we have in our library, we'll get together and uh, get you one of your favorites. The second question. Drum roll, Joe, or no? Okay, don't knock the microphone over. With the acquisition this year of Freddie Freeman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, do you think they are the team to beat? Or do you feel there's a better lineup? If so, who? Congratulations, Mr. David Boot, our good friend. You know what? That is a great question. I was sorry to see Freddie leave Atlanta. Uh, He's legendary. I wanted to see him knock balls off the green monster, but he ended up going to the Dodgers, which just keeps getting player after player after player. They'll be there in my opinion, but two teams that I'm very high on this year is last year's um, impressive team, the Chicago White Sox. And I'm also very high from the east on the Toronto Blue Jays. So if there's a couple of lineups, hitting-wise and pitching-wise, that could challenge this year, um, I would say those two. Joe, where do you stand on Mr. Boots' question?
1: Um, I really think Freddie's going to be dangerous with Mookie, Cody. It's going to be a bloodbath.
0: Any other teams that you think could challenge the Dodgers this year?
1: That's going to be tough, but like I want – the World Series to be Dodgers-Yankees. I'm sorry, Red Sox fans, but I, I'm a Red Sox too. I'm
0: sorry. All Joseph, uh, please don't turn to the pinstripes, okay? Don't, don't go to the dark never. side. Our third winner. Joe, you want to announce the third one?
1: Yes. Next is Dan Karsten. What impact will the new MLB rules have on the game we love?
0: Well, I'm thinking, okay, so the new rules this year, Joseph, if you don't know already, is that both leagues are going to have a designated hitter, which means less poor at-bats from pitchers who can't hit. I like to see dingers. I think it's a great rule. What's your opinion, Joe?
1: I agree with you because, um, like, if you have a good hitter, I mean a pitcher, like Otani, and he's an amazing hitter. We all can agree. And then if you add him to DH, that's a good team. But, like, having – I'm not trying to throw somebody under the bus, but, like, having somebody like Chris Sale being a DH, he's probably going to get, like, a pop fly in the outfield or bunt. All
0: right, so you want to see big-time hitters and pitchers just getting a rest and then going out there and pitching their innings. Yeah. What's and your- also
1: – sorry, sorry. Dad. And also, um, like – Let's say a pitcher like Chris Sale. He's having the best game of his life. And then right after he has a no straight um no no hit inning. It all it all just stops because he has to bat right after and he gets tired focusing on batting and trying to hit a home run.
0: Understood. So I I like the idea of the DH. I mean, I'm not a purist in the sense that the National League just keeps trotting out pitchers i think it's good for the game more excitement more scoring um what's your opinion on this ghost runner on second base to start off extra innings
1: i kind of like it because the game can't last forever you need like like players need some breaks and stuff plus you always have a chance to do it like if you're the home team and you you get you score a run with the ghost runner then the other team the away the away team has a chance to um end it. Sorry I sorry I said that wrong. I said that wrong. Away team has a chance to um score first and then home team I said that wrong. My apologies.
0: Yeah, I mean I think it's a lot better than the way the NFL does things. One team gets a chance um you know, the game can't go on for 6 7 hours. Some people think it's long enough as it is. That's part of the joy of the game for me is mindlessly relaxing for three hours. Um, but um, I think it's a good idea, you know, because a lot of times the guys are playing the next day. So you got to get a winner going in there. Um, and it's kind of dramatic in in in, in its uh, fashion. Bring that runner in from second or you're going to take the L. Um, and then lastly, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but going forward, they're talking about possibly banning the shift. I mean, listen, I'm all about analytics and trying to do research on your, You know, teams that you're playing, but I I hate looking at the field where the third baseman is standing way over by second base. Just keep guys in their correct positions, shade over a little bit if you want to, but I'd be in favor of banning the shift. I I think it's ridiculous when you just have the field all lopsided. I want to see more scoring. I mean, I'm all in favor of seeing a great pitching performance, a shutout, a no hitter, but two to one games, you know, I'd rather see, you know, seven to five. Um, and lastly, um, the AL East is going to be incredible this year. Leslie and Drew Morgan want to know, as did several others, um, who comes out on top in the East and where do the Red Sox end up? I- I'll take a crack at it first. I- I'm really high, as I had mentioned, on the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they have Vlad, who could win the MVP this year. Uh, Bo Bichette, who's a-, a little guy. Um I always think of Boba Fett when I say that his name, but um, he he can rake. Then you add Chapman from the A's, who's outstanding, plus Springer. I mean, that is an imposing lineup, um, not to mention they also have some good pitching. Um, the Yankees always make me nervous. They have a really great lineup, especially if DJ LeMahieu can perform this year. Um, and I think the Red Sox, they're going to have their hands full with these two teams. You can never count Tampa Bay out either, but I would project that the Red Sox might be a borderline playoff team, maybe in the mid eighties for wins and hopefully around challenging for second or third place. What are your thoughts, Joe?
1: Um, I think the Red Sox will be second Yankees first. I think the Red Sox and Toronto are going to have the same record. Rays. Eh. I looked at their spring training record. They, I think they last time I checked, they were six and seven. Um or six and nine. So I'm not expecting a big season with the Rays this year. Um, Orioles, I'm going to predict last place. I'm going to predict the Rays in fourth.
0: Okay. Well, th- there you have it. I mean, a little bit of baseball at the end of a great podcast with Marcus on one of our favorite players, maybe one of the greatest players of all time and definitely the greatest shooter of all time. Thank you so much, Marcus, for sharing inside stories on the life of Stephen Curry. And we'll see you next time on the Sliders and Curveballs podcast. We really appreciate all the great feedback that we've been getting with our fantastic run through the media. And uh, as always, I love you, Joseph. I love doing these with you. Love you, Dan. See you next time. Peace. Bye, guys.